Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to the next episode of Mission Control. I am your co-host, Alex Ivanoff, with my co-host and partner, Dave Pancham, and we have a very, very special guest for today's episode, Andrew Deitch, who is no stranger to this podcasting thing. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much for that warm invitation. Happy <laughs> to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you on, man. Uh, we got to meet you. Uh, we were thankful and lucky to meet you in Atlanta in January with your event that you hosted. Um, that was a kick-ass event and such a good time. Uh, and you know, we, we talked a little bit about the podcast. You, you kicked my ass personally in Mario Kart (laughs) and, uh, I need to, (laughs) I need to know where you got your cheat codes from, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time bonding, you know, with you and the team. And, uh, we, we knew we had to have you on just with your experience and, and, you know, the, the quality of information that you can bring to the brands listening to us. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, you know, your, your journey and your path to where you're at and, you know, introduce yourself. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for the, for the intro. Um, my name is Andrew Deitch. I'm the creative director at four media marketing. We're an e-commerce, uh, marketing company, and we pretty much, uh, cover the full stack of what you would need. Um, a lot of, a lot of agencies are pretty much just like media buying and maybe email and SMS, but we also have a content creation division, which is one of the hardest I'd say things to, to do as an agency. So we're pretty proud of the fact that we've been able to pull that off. Um, Content is, uh, you know, obviously super crucial in any kind of marketing strategy, especially for D2C brands. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much my department at Four Media is just content creation and making sure that uh, our clients have high quality uh, and most importantly, highly converting ads to run on all platforms. So uh, very excited about uh, the growth of of Four Media. We've taken it. Um, I started it November 2020, um, and so it's been you know a year and a half or so, maybe a little more than that now. And uh, we've uh, gotten the chance to work with a lot of amazing clients, and I've uh, learned a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can go back a bit too and kind of share my my story. So, um, gr- you know, growing up, I was always interested in content and like pushing the boundaries of certain platforms. Like, I remember. Uh, my parents' computer, I was always like messing around with like Microsoft Paint and just like trying to put my face on random celebrities or, you know, like random stuff like that. Like, <laughs> oh, how can I make this thing or I'm going to download this app on my iPod Touch that'll make it look like my brother exploded or like something <laughs> stupid, you know, like I, w- I was always into just making random little things and pushing the boundaries of like what was possible on certain platforms. And uh, but but it's interesting because I never really like actually invested in myself like i never bought a camera i never had like a nice computer to like edit stuff on i was always just like hacking things together with like like i said my ipod touch or my phone or you know just random things like that and um i uh i i when i when i was in college i went to college for one year and um i was in mass communications which is like very similar to what i'm kind of doing now where did you um, go but uh, I went to GCSU in Milledgeville, Georgia College and State University. Okay. In Milledgeville, Georgia. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to go to the University of Georgia, but I didn't get in. 
And so that's like the second best choice, I feel like, for a lot of people is GCSU. And then maybe you can transfer into UGA after that. I grew up in um, in Georgia, by the way, like outside of Atlanta. Went to Norcross High School for anyone who's listening knows what that is. Shout out. But um, uh, basically, uh, like I said, I was in mass communications and I just kind of like realized that the stuff they were kind of teaching me, I was just like, why are we, why am I learning about like newspaper ads and stuff like that? I'm like, this is, this is like not really what I signed up for. And at the time I actually got involved with uh, like a network marketing company called Vima for people that uh, know Vima. It's a multi-level marketing kind of company. And funny enough, that's actually how I met Eddie, Eddie Maloof, our CEO. And, um, that, that business taught me so much because my mom was actually involved in network marketing with a skincare company when I was growing up. I always thought it was like a cool industry, um, but I always felt like it was not really for me. There wasn't really anything out there. It was mostly like skincare, Mary Kay, Herbalife, stuff like that. So I was like, ah, it's probably not for me. But um, Vima seemed really cool. The product was great. And um, I the, the biggest thing I definitely got out of that whole business was self-development. Started investing in myself, started reading books, started learning about entrepreneurship. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that was like a huge one for me. Just realizing like, oh, wow. Um, you know, the things that are taught by, by teachers or by parents, like it's not really their fault, but they don't necessarily like if they're not extremely wealthy or anything, how are they going to teach me to be super successful? And that's not anyone's fault, but that was just like a big paradigm shift for me. And I realized like if I wanted to do something different with my life, I, I wanted to not follow the crowd. And I was like, I'm going to drop out and do this multi-level marketing thing. And I'm going to, you know, make a bunch of money. So how old And obviously you? that... Sorry, Dave. What are you like, twenty-one-ish? Like, what age were you then? I was, I was literally a freshman in college, so I was like eighteen, nineteen. Your brain, and, brain um, was exploding with the new information, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My brain was just exploding, and uh, I, I, I was. It, it was really rich dad, poor dad. That was like the thing that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. But also the compound effect by Darren Hardy. Um, great book. Uh, Think and grow rich. A lot of great books that I that I I I was listening to at the time um, on audiobook, and I was just getting so much from it. And I was I was learning from uh, a lot of mentors in the company that I I mean they were teaching me the blueprint of how to advance and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I should probably listen to someone who has what I want, you know, rather than uh, you know, no offense to any professors or anything, but it's like I don't really want to be a professor, so like I don't know if they can really show me to get to the path that I want to get to, you know, so. Um, did that for a couple of years, ended up moving in with some buddies and we kind of had like a business house where we were like, let's just all grind and we're going to be successful and stuff. And I mean, it didn't really pan out exactly how we wanted it to, but, um, <laughs> after that kind of fizzled out a bit, I actually, um, I actually went and I need, I wanted a change. One of my friends, she was traveling as an au pair, which is like a nanny almost that like stays uh stays with you typically it's in a different country to teach you teach the kids like a different language or something and um i was like oh that sounds so cool but i'm again it was like i'm a guy can't really do that and uh but she was like no i actually know a bunch of guy au pairs they live with families with with uh sons and you can totally do it and i was like no way <laughs> so i like applied for that and that was when i started uh traveling and and seeing the world and that was a huge thing for me and when I was traveling, this all ties back into content. So when I was traveling, I was like doing tons of Snapchat stories where I would just be snapping like everywhere I went. One of the experiments I did 
I shared this on stage at Agency Founders, was I printed out these Snapchat stickers and I would stick them all over. I'd stick them in the airport. I'd stick them at landmarks. I'd stick them places. And that was like an example of me like kind of pushing the boundaries. But again, I never like actually had a good camera. I was just <laughs> filming it on Snapchat. And so then when I got back, um, I was like really inspired by one of my friends who started a podcast. So I started podcasting and uh, got, a, got a camera, learned how to, you know, start making stuff like on a more professional level. And because I was always just kind of interested in that world, but had never actually made the jump to invest in myself and buy a camera or buy a good computer or anything like that, I was able to like pick it up really quickly and um, eventually kind of started started doing that as a career. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of my, my, my backstory in a nutshell. Andrew, don't you have a, a very famous photo that went viral that you cropped? I think you showed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one of me and Ariana Grande. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that is another example of me trying to just like push the boundaries of a platform. Like Instagram was just like posting pictures of your sandwich at the time and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to trick, I'm going to see if I can trick people into thinking I met Ariana Grande. So I, uh, I took a picture of her and her grandpa and I like photoshopped my face onto her grandpa, which looking back, like is such a weird thing to do. But I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to tag it. I'm going to hashtag it with all the Ariana Grande hashtags and just see how far I can go with this. And, uh, yeah, it got like a ton of likes and stuff. I don't know how viral I would consider it, but it was, it was viral for me. That's for sure. And, uh, I think it got like a thousand likes or something, which at the time for like, I had like maybe a hundred followers on Instagram or something. So that was pretty cool. You know, what's so funny is, uh, I remember you told that Snapchat sticker story either at the conference or on one of your podcast episodes, probably like five, six months ago. And for some reason it stuck in the back of my mind. And a couple of times since then people have asked me for advice on creating content and I would give them like, you know, like the overall, you know, general guidelines of advice. And then like, I would just throw like a random tidbit of advice and I'd be like, I actually know this guy who did this with his Snapchat stickers around <laughs> campus. And they're like, oh, that's genius. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. you could do that with just a regular QR code, right? It doesn't have to be a Snapchat thing. 100%. If you're just trying to promote like a landing page or whatever, like think of something like super catchy, like you don't want to open this QR code or something like that and just put that on a sticker and slap it everywhere. Yeah, um, 100%. A good idea. That, that was what was so fun for me was, especially with the Snapchat ones, it was like, right when that feature kind of came out. And um, I mean, I feel like QR codes now are pretty uh, universal. Like everyone understands them and uses them, especially with the pandemic, like yeah. menus and stuff like that. Like my grandma knows what a QR code is now. But like back in the day, the Snapchat thing, it was almost kind of like if you were just a random dad or something and you saw that sticker, you wouldn't know what to do with it because it was just a little yellow. It was a white ghost on a yellow background with a bunch of dots. So it was like only almost like a little inside joke kind of thing where it was like, oh, if you know what this is, you should scan it. And people were just curious because it was like bringing this little digital because I think the real reason why they made it was just so you could scan it in, uh, on someone's phone and add them quickly. Kind of like, you know, uh, but but uh, printing it out and putting it on a sticker, that level of effort shows a person seeing it like it, their curiosity gets the best of them. They're like okay, who is this guy? Why, why did he, why, why is this, why is this sitting at this train station? You know, why right. is this on a gas station button? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and how many followers did you end up getting on Snapchat from that? Uh, 
I, it, well, the thing is on on Snapchat, you can't really see the number of people that follow you, which Just is kind of weird. Like story. you can only yeah. see the view count. And again, I think I got it up to like a thousand. Was like my like a thousand and maybe like fifty was like my highest consistent like viewing. And then that was like around the time when Instagram kind of came out with stories and I was so adamant that I was not going to fall for it. I'm like, Instagram is just a bunch of copycats. And you know what? I never post Snapchat stories anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I hardly ever do either. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously, you know, with your story, you have a long history of making content and, you know, being a creator. Um, We'll get into your other podcasts in a bit. But, you know, what what made you want like why why were you so fascinated you know back to your early days of microsoft paint like what was it about you know you and your your passions that like really clicked with creating stuff (laughs) yeah i i mean growing up i was always like very into art and stuff but i guess especially in high school so i went to a private school up until like eighth grade very small school and i always took art classes there i mean i don't even think it was like a choice it was more just like now it's art time. And so, uh, like I, I always enjoyed doing art and, um, I, when I went to high school, I went to a public high school and I remember going into those art classes and back in my private middle school where each class was like 16 people in a classroom to now a classroom of like 30 something people. And I'm probably like the t- bottom 10 worst people in the class at art. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, if I try to go be a professional artist, like if I can't even be the top person in this class at art, like how am I going to be, you know, even a good artist in the real world, you know? And so I kind of just got that feeling that this is something that I'm okay at and, um, you know, maybe I'm interested in, but I don't think I'm going to be able to make it a career. And so I was always passionate about making things, creating things. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I, I, I guess, it just kind of, I just got discouraged by that. Not in a way where I felt like I would not uh, keep pursuing things as like a hobby or drawing or whatever, but I guess the, it never occurred to me that the type of creation that I'd be doing now is just so different. And even, even with, um, even with photography and videography, I guess there's just this uh, weird stigma that I felt like I had to, in order to do that, I had to like go be in the film industry or like go make movies or something. And that never really like interested me that much um, for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I, I never wanted to be on a set of like a big budget movie or something. I'd rather be making something with a small team or, um, you know, creating something that is almost like borderline like weird but then people call it genius afterwards you know it's like why are you spending so much time doing this dumb thing and then you realize like oh it got a bunch of eyeballs like the gif thing that i talked about on stage too like Mm -hmm. i had like billions of views on these gifs that i made on giphy like david beckham used one of my gifs and it's like why did you spend so much time doing that i don't know i was just trying to poke the universe and like see what would happen you know and uh that that's kind of i guess what i i always um go back to is I like to, you know, poke the universe and, and see what, see what happens. Like I'm going to start a podcast. Who knows who's going to listen to it? Who knows where it'll go from this, but I bet that I'll have a lot of great conversations with cool people and it will be totally worth it. Even if, you know, 10 people listen to it. So like, I guess with uh, content creation, it was just like, as long as I'm having fun making the thing that I'm making, uh, 
if people watch it, cool. You know, if a couple people appreciate it, cool. If not, at least I had, you know, a fun time making it. Yeah. And this is, this is great. It really actually segues nicely into my next question. Cause you mentioned, you know, talking about not going to film school and a different path of becoming a creator, you and your team, like create a lot of really, really high quality stuff. And it's also very different. And I assume it's with a much more efficient budget than some of the, like the biggest production companies yet keeping the same quality. How do you guys like accomplish that? What is the process for brainstorming ideas and producing things efficiently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so like I kind of mentioned earlier, I like pushing the boundaries. So I guess you got to kind of figure out where your boundaries are. Um, I, I, a lot of times we'll sit in like brainstorm meetings and stuff. And a lot of times the ideas are so out there that the only way you could really pull it off is with a giant budget or something crazy or, you know, spending half a million dollars on a production. And it's like, okay, great idea, but that's way outside of the boundaries that we kind of have here. You know, let's say we're working with a $10,000 uh, package and uh, we're going to have a certain amount of stills, certain amount of videos and stuff. What can we do within the confines of four media that is going to stop someone from scrolling and be interested in this brand? And um, it's interesting because uh, I think that the, that a lot of production companies are kind of just going about it in an old mindset where I feel like a lot of um, movies and stuff, their their goals are different, right? Like their goal is to make the best thing that they can make in a long period of time. I mean, a lot of movies take years to make, you know, like they've got, so, so they're able to hire the best of the best for each position that they need. Like they have a costume designer that's amazing and they're making a full-time salary and they've got this stunt coordinator that's making the making a full-time salary. And they've got this camera operator that's making a full-time salary. Like, and, and with our team, we're operating on a much, much smaller basis. We're not, um, we're, we're not, uh, uh, what's it called in the industry when you kind of have like a, like a union set, like we're not like a union set. That's got a bajillion people on, that, that are all doing a million different things. We've got a few people that are all really talented at a bunch of things. And, um, that's great in my opinion. Cause, um, I know like Alex Ramosi talks about, uh, uh, something called like stacking skills. Like the more skills that you can stack, the more valuable you're going to be as a person to a company. So, um, you know, for me, like, being a content creator is great, but if you can have a marketing mindset on top of that and understand what's going to get someone to actually pull out their credit card and buy something, that's a dangerous combo because now you've got the content creation side where you can make something cool, but you can also make something cool that makes someone want to buy. And then on top of that, uh, do you have the organizational skills to actually rally a team around you and make something like that happen in an efficient way? Um, and do you have the, you know, organizational side of even just file management and systems and things like that. And so like the more things you can stack on top, um, the more efficient you can kind of become as a team. And so I guess um, for us, like it really just comes down to a lot of systems and processes and figuring out how we can repeatedly make high quality content for people. And to be honest, um, a, a lot of it is just looking around and seeing what other people are doing. I think, I think it's very taboo in, in art, especially to and just in general like plagiarism is a huge thing right but um there's a book called borrowing brilliance by um i think it's david cord murray and it's all about how pretty much everything is 
borrowed like any any big idea is borrowed and the the best artists in the world all borrow but the key is to borrow from things that are not completely parallel you borrow from other industries or you borrow from other um uh other you know products or things like that that are unrelated to your niche so when you implement it into your thing it looks like you're a genius or a savant but really you're just pulling elements from a bunch of different things and kind of bringing them into your world. And we, I mean, we do that a lot. We sit down and we're like, okay, what are the, what are brands that we feel like are similar or like maybe they're not the same niche. So if it's a supplement company, maybe we're looking at an apparel company for inspo, but we want the same like vibe as them or whatever. So, um, yeah, we, we look at a lot of what's going on, um, and try to make stuff like that. It's fascinating. Do you think, you know, as a manager of, of a creative team, you know, you talk about the brainstorming process. Can you teach creativity? Um, I think so. I think it's, um, I think it's like a muscle that you can learn. <clears throat> Excuse me. So like if you're, if you've never hit the gym and you're really weak, uh, it's going to seem really hard to lift, you know, 200 pounds, but you can flex that muscle over time and, and eventually become strong. Like, um, and so I think with creativity, it's like a muscle. Um, and I actually had a guy on my podcast a long time ago. Um, his name is Alan Gannett and he wrote a book called, um, the creative curve, I think it was called. Yeah. The creative curve. And in the book, he actually breaks down and I, I thought this was amazing actually the first time I heard it. Um, but his definition of creativity is the combination or like the fine line between the familiar and the novel. So like the novel is like the new and the unfamiliar and the 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 part that we always say is creative and the familiar, right? So like when you're coming up with something creative, I could go beep bop boop beep bop boop bop. That's not really like creative. That's just like complete nonsense, right? But if I combined that with something that was ultimately familiar and uh, maybe I made that into a remix of a song or something stupid yeah. everyone would be like oh my gosh this guy's so wild and weird he's making songs with nonsense um you know so so like I, I think I might have given this as, as an example um at agency founders but like for example snapchat they took the idea of um a photo sharing app and they added one little creative twist to it the fact that it disappears in a certain amount of seconds and that's not a photo sharing app is not a revolutionary idea but just adding that one little twist. So um, just in general it, with creativity, I think if you're trying to do something, think about how you can, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just need to find that one little creative lever that you can pull to make it different enough and unique enough to get people's attention, you know? And I think that's when you look at some of the best, you know, advertising campaigns or especially back in the day, like traditional, even just like billboards and stuff like that. Um, a lot of times it was just very creative twists on pre-existing things. Like you see it and you realize what it is, but it's got something about it that makes you stop and look, you know? And I think that's, um, that's, I guess my definition of what creativity would be if I had to boil it down. And I do think that you can teach it, but I think it's less about teaching it and more about, uh, cultivating it and like practicing it yeah. and trying new things. Cause you can't just, take a course and 
now you're creative. <laughs> yeah, it takes reps. I mean, there's so many examples of this. And going back to what you said a couple questions ago about like finding inspiration, I can think of so many examples where it's like finding something else out there. Like I'm a big hip hop guy and, you know, a big thing in the past 15 years in hip hop is finding like a snippet of a song from the 50s and like looping it and making it the entire beat of your song. And it's just sampling, right? Yep. It's all it is now in hip hop. And that's that's like a classic example of they're literally taking someone else's work. I mean, they're paying for it, but you know, it's, it's becoming the foundation to their song. And um, you know, we do that too, as marketers, we find other advertisers, whether they're from, you know, competitors or similar niches or, you know, brand identities that we're looking to kind of emulate. And we, we, we talk internally all the time. How do we make this better? Or like, what would we do differently here? Or this is really cool. How can we spend something like this as well for us? Um, even like, learning myself it's like learning from other entrepreneurs dave you probably have a million examples of this like learning from other entrepreneurs how they talk how they think how they operate their businesses i constantly like feel that myself when i'm like going about my day in a meeting you know trying to be creatively like hitting home with people and my colleagues and stuff so yeah it's it's just a mindset really i think that just takes practice yeah i agree and especially when it goes back to like sampling and things like that it is interesting what we consider not stealing and what we consider stealing. And uh, it goes back to like fair use, um, like mm -hmm. in legal terms, uh, there's certain things that are fair use, like you're able to make parodies of things or you're able to, as long as it's transformative and in a court setting, I think they'd have to decipher whether it was more than 50% original and 50% uh, sampled or whatever. Um, as long as you can put a creative twist on something, you know, I I'm, I'm, I don't know. I have weird feelings about like uh, people feeling like they have ownership over something that they created. Because I feel like once you create something, you kind of put it out into the world. And now it's kind of the world's to decipher how it will be interpreted or used or remixed or whatever. And um, I think a big example of that is memes. Like memes are shared all around the world and reposted by a bajillion meme companies. But uh, the original creator of that meme is nine times out of 10, not getting any credit for that. And for whatever reason in that creative outlet, uh, it's almost like laughable when, when meme creators are like, Hey, you didn't tag me for credits. Like, ah, oh, shut up. It's a stupid meme. <laughs> it's like, but that took creativity to make the caption and to think of the relatable, whatever, and why it got shared a bajillion times. Like, should that be a thing that we give credit to? Maybe, I don't know. But I think, um, gener like, I think Gen Z is like kind of, uh, not being so, I guess, like strict on that type of stuff, like TikTok, you know, people make trends and then it's ever, and then everyone just copies the trend, you know, it's like, it's kind of just what happens. And, uh, I think once you put something out into the world, that's yours, it's kind of your responsibility to keep the ownership of it or else, you know, you kind of failed, I guess. Andrew, have you ever had someone rip an ad that you guys made? Um, I don't know if I can say definitively, but definitely there's been a lot of inspo. I mean, especially with a lot of these e-commerce companies that, um, I mean, to be transparent, I mean, a lot of them are just finding suppliers in China that are selling the exact same thing that someone else is selling. And so at the end of the day, in a lot of these types of companies, the real differentiator is how much branding and effort and personality you can put behind the actual brand. Because at the end of the day, the product that the customer is getting in the mail is probably going to be 
99% the same, whether they buy from one brand or the other. It's more about how they feel about purchasing from that brand and um, how comfortable they are with uh, that purchase. Um, and interestingly, I, I've it's always the type of brands that are very um, secretive, I guess you could say. Like, for example, when we're on onboarding calls with clients, some of them, like we, I always say, hey, by the way, um, once we make this content, we'd love to post it on our own social media so that we can use it for our portfolio. Um, just wanted to make sure that's cool with you. And it's always the brands that are like, uh, we'd rather not that always have like a, like they have like a scarcity mentality of like, well, if they post it, other e-com brands in the space are going to see because they follow for media and they're going to copy our content and then they might put more ad dollars behind it and then they become the new leader. So like, you know, they're coming at it from a place of scarcity versus coming at it from a, a place of abundance or, um, you know, like just confidence. People are like, yeah, share it. I'm already spending, you know, thousands of dollars to, 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 use these as actual ads. Yeah. Post it everywhere. Cause we're already one step ahead of the competition. We're already going to be doing another content package in three months. So by the time you ripped off our content, we've already got new content, like what you got, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, there's definitely some, some companies out there that have, that have ripped our ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've, we've had our fair share of that too. I think one of, uh, my mentors a couple years ago gave me a piece of advice that really stuck with me in this topic. It's, you know, make stuff that people can't copy because even if they did like, you know, it's copied, right? Make stuff that, and that 100%. doesn't even have to be just content. Like that could be, make it like your business model or your business process or, you know, your sales process or your, your customer experience. Like th for brands listening, that's a huge thing to think about. Like do something that's so differentiated from the competition that they can't mimic you. Cause they'll just, they'll fail at it. You know, it takes a lot of effort yeah. to copy it. A hundred percent. And that's something that we try to think about when we're filming. So, so for example, um, let's say I have a supplement that I'm making an ad for and it's a immune support supplement. That's a really hard, like there's no real like product demo that I can show. You can't see you it. <laughs> hopefully you don't get sick. Like that's a, it's hard to make content for that kind of stuff. Right. And we could go out and film a bunch of stuff of people frolicking in a field of flowers <laughs> and living their life. Or we could film, you know, like you think of like typical drug commercials and things like that. But so what we try to focus on is what, what we can film and what we can use stock footage for. So like there's, there's so many stock footage websites that have great footage that could go in any ad. And so if I'm filming uh, the ad for the, the immune support supplement, I'm going to make sure that whatever we're filming in the studio is very, very proprietary. And someone watching it knows for a fact that this is a, this, that footage is directly tied to this product or else there's no real point in getting that footage, if that makes sense. So like, for example, if I, um, we, we shot an ad for this, um, uh, company club early bird and they make a, they make an awesome product. And, uh, one of the ads was about, <laughs> do sorry, awesome. what'd you say, Dave? We both, we both drink it. <laughs> Me too, man. I, I really do there. love club early. Bird. They, <laughs> awesome. they make an amazing, they make an amazing product, but, um, uh, and they've also, I, I I'm not going to say it actually, they have a great product coming out soon though. Anyways. <laughs> um, so, uh, so there's a, there's an ad we made about like where this lady is dreaming of all the things that she could be doing in the morning, but instead she keeps snoozing her alarm clock and wasting her whole morning. So what we did was instead of getting all the footage of her 
kayaking or running or playing with their kid on the beach or whatever. We found uh, the model that we were going to use. And then we went on these stock footage websites and we found footage that would potentially look like her shot from the back. So it was a lady running, but it was shot from the back. So you never see her face. And there's a lady like kayaking and it was like a POV. So you never saw the face. And then it was like a lady playing with her kid on the beach. And we just like zoomed in on the hands and the baby. So it was like, you, if you didn't realize that that was stock footage or if you didn't recognize the footage itself, like you would never know that we didn't go out and film that stuff. But we're licensing that footage. It's not like we're stealing it or anything. And that footage is designed to be used as stock footage. I think the place where people go wrong with stock footage is trying to use 100% stock footage in their videos. And then it just ends up looking really cheesy and like staged and just not really in line with what you're trying to do. And so that's why we really love bringing stock footage and proprietary footage together. Like if you're, if we're storyboarding an ad and it's something that's just like very, like very uh, easy, but just would require us to go on another, to another location and film something that's going to take a lot of time. So like, how can we work around that? How can we maybe achieve that same goal with a creative solution? How can we, uh, you know, instead of going and, uh, shooting in a different location, how can we, you know, maybe show it in a different way? Um, and that's like another way that we, um, try to number one, we can lower our budgets that way. But number two, we make the footage feel kind of unstealable in that way. We're like, okay, this is it. They're holding the pill bottle. Like there, there's no way that this is not happening. Like we didn't CGI the pill bottle into this <laughs> random model's hands. Like we, th that would take too much effort. You might as well just film it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So on the topic of creativity and, and, you know, being original or, or, you know, all that stuff, how does a brand owner, what do they look for when bringing on a creative person either in-house or, you know, like with a marketing partner? So I think one of the biggest, the hardest hurdles to overcome with uh, content creators is a lot of them are very, um, A, married to their work. So when there's critiques, it feels like a personal attack versus like a objective change that could be made or whatever. And there's, there's obviously a difference between a subjective revision and an objective revision. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, this video would definitely be better if this was changed. Or sometimes it's like, eh, it might be better. I think I would like it better stylistically, but maybe it won't really matter. And I think that's a hard thing for clients to sometimes realize is like some of the changes that they want. It's like, okay, yeah, we can spend the extra few hours to like make this change, but is it going to make less people pull out their credit card and buy it? Probably not, but whatever, we'll still do it. But um, <laughs> going back to your, um, your question, what people should like kind of look for. I think that the, the best, at least for e-commerce brands that are looking to like maybe bring a creative in house, um, look for someone that isn't just filming reactive content. Look for someone that's filming uh, proactive content. And what I mean by that is if you're a concert videographer, you're just capturing what's happening. If you're going out and filming at a car show, you're kind of filming what's happening. There are creative ways to like film a car show, but, <clears throat> but, um, if you're if you're just capturing stuff that's already happening, it's hard to go into an e-commerce brand that has uh, that's selling a physical product again, let's say a supplement and make something cool. 
Cause, cause now you're just sitting there with the pill bottle and you're like, oh crap, I've got to like make something from nothing. And so, um, I think a lot of things, uh, to, to look for is experience in product videography and photography. Cause that's, that's pretty big. Um, being able to create something in a studio in a controlled environment versus, um, you know, just filming pretty B-roll and fit pretty footage. Like anyone can like go to the beach and like film some cool B-roll of like a seagull flying in slow motion, but it takes like a, a different type of vision to um, take a physical product and like craft a scene or like make something that was nothing, you know? And that's, that's kind of a, a, a thing that is hard to teach. And it's also hard to get experience doing um like it's it's a lot easier to like make a short film not easier but for example like okay i'm gonna make this story up and we'll film the story and we'll make this little short film about this little thing um but um making a compelling ad about something you've got to have a lot of other kind of skills you, get, you might need a little bit of copywriting you might need a little bit of um you know just psychology of putting yourself in the other person's shoes. I think that's my biggest tip to anybody. It's like when you're creating an ad for a product, think about a, what are all the bragging rights of that product? Like if I, if I, uh, again, to go back to club early bird, if I was like bragging about it to my friend, I'd be like, dude, I, it's so good. Literally just one scoop. I wake up and I, I have energy all day. No crash. I feel amazing. Uh, like coffee was always making me feel bad. I was always crashing, but like this, this stuff is so good and it tastes great. Like rather than giving you uh, a bunch of like, like it's portable or like it's, uh, you know, it's it, like basically all the things that you could say about the product, but they're not bragging things, you know, like thinking of the bragging things. That's always a, a, a big thing for me to, to focus on and especially like top of funnel type ads. And then um, the the other side of it being like the like creating crafting a scene and kind of like figuring out um how you can make something uh look look cool without much uh much to go on you know because that is a lot of times what we end up doing the the client send us sends us a, a product and um you, you know you you got to put yourself in the shoes of the the customer and think about what is actually going to be that pain point that is going to be solved in their life that will get them to to, to buy this thing so that's that's a lot of times I'll see videos and a lot of editors I think try to get fancy with their edits and add in a bunch of crazy transitions and the text comes in cool and all this stuff and it's like that all is fine but if the text itself is weak and the hook is lame and I'm confused as a viewer uh it's I'm not really achieving my goal of making a good ad and that's kind of a hard thing for a lot of content creators to like wrap their head around. I guess. Yeah. It's almost like you're selling too much of the sizzle and not the steak, <laughs> you know, exactly. What kind of, uh, exactly. what kind of like brands and industries do you find the most challenging to create ads for? Um, certain, I mean, it, it's definitely a, a challenge when you have a product that you don't resonate with personally even like stylistically, like for example, if there is an apparel brand that is uh, making shirt, it, it, like their shirts have a bunch of like inspirational sayings for women, 
I'm trying to put myself in that woman's shoes that would buy it. It's probably like a mom on Facebook. I'm not a mom on Facebook. So I've got to really kind of think about that and like what would actually make a mom on Facebook buy. Um, and so for, I guess for me personally, that part of it plays in like, um, I'm actually, uh, I'd say, I don't know. I, this might sound weird, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm more in tune with like feminine products sometimes, not like feminine care products necessarily, but like, uh, I, I understand like what would look good on like a beauty brand, um, you know, graphic or something like that versus some guys just like really don't get it. I, I guess I just kind of have an eye for certain aesthetics sometimes. Relative to like other men, you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> other men. Like, I'm not like humble bragging, like I understand women, but I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, there's definitely a lot of guys that have been on my team that are like, they, they just don't get it. And I'm like, you got to make it look like cool to girls. <laughs> like, yeah. and that goes down to, that goes back to looking at inspo, you know, looking at other brands that are like actually making cool stuff. Um, and it's so funny, like, especially when you have, when you have uh, editors like like I've got this one editor Gabriel he's the man uh, and he's he's in the Philippines and uh, like I I think about like sometimes these cutesy like girly brands and I'm like it's so funny because you love this ad so much and you have no idea that this dude in the Philippines made this like <laughs> it looks so cute and like fun and whatever but anyways that's always just like a fun little side of the you know the backstory of it but um I don't remember where I was going with that question but but yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I think one of the first things you said when you hopped on today was like, you, you know, you manage the creative department of the agency and that's like one of the hardest things to do in an agency space, uh, is to create content for another brand. Because like you just said, you have to put yourself in the shoes of that brand identity and really think hard about what is, what is this brand looking to like maintain in terms of their identity, in terms of their, you know, their, their, how they look to a customer, um, how do you like how do you guys think about that because you know for a brand hiring other agencies or other in-house marketing person it's like i need to make sure that this person or this partner is going to keep the brand that i want you know 100 percent. um i'd say there's there's kind of two things that happen one is they're the type of e-commerce brand that uh, really only cares about making money. So they could like care less about the branding and like how the font looks and what colors they use. And then there's the brands that care, uh, about that to a fault, you know, like yeah. branding over everything. I don't care if it doesn't convert as well. I'd rather it follow our brand guidelines, you know? Right, right. So, uh, on those two extremes, uh, I think you can kind of gauge that client like quickly and you can even ask them questions like in the beginning, like, Hey, if you had the choice and I know this is like, not uh, an easy question, but if you had the choice between an ad looking uh, exactly how you want it and an ad converting at a better rate in your heart of hearts, what would you choose? You know, like, and that's like a hard question because uh, you, you, you want to say the conversion thing. Cause you're like, I want the ad to convert, but there's certain things in the short term that will make things convert that in the long term will hurt your brand. Like you can make a bunch of corny ass videos that have really cheesy hooks and stuff. And you're going to hit the lowest hanging fruit customers that are going to buy anything you put in front of them. If it's at least a little compelling, but how, how long of a customer is that going to be? How valuable is that customer? How long are you going to retain that customer? Or do they really feel like part of your brand or did they just buy this little doodad? Cause 
it seemed like the next cool thing that they needed to have on their desk or whatever, you know? And so like, um, I think when you're, when you, to go back to your question, Alex, like when you're trying to make something for a brand, you really do have to dive in and understand what, what, you know, their brand guidelines and understand, go through their website, read everything on the product page, um, and really just understand like the vibe that they're going for. The three main thing, the three main uh, styles that I think of when I uh, when we're gonna create content um, is typically like badass. Like, is your content gonna be badass, dark, moody, freaking cool, blah blah blah, hard edges, like you know, uh, manly? Is it gonna be like clean and minimal, like kind of more like Apple, where everything is mainly white with like pops of color? Um, and kind of just like minimalistic, very simple, very white, clean, modern, or is it like vibrant and very, very much, uh, very colorful neons, pinks, oranges, yellows, you know, like what kind of vibe are you going for? And you can typically kind of, uh, grab that. And, and then I'd say maybe there's even like one more, like kind of more just subdued, serious, like Navy blues and things like that. But I'd still say that kind of falls under the, like, um, the middle, the middle, um, style. So I guess once you kind of figure that out, you can really wrap your brain around like the type of content you're going to make. If it's that vibrant stuff, you're going to want to make it fun, poppy, uh, cutesy, you know, like very playful. If it's that minimalist, it's probably very like establishing yourself as an expert, very um, calm, cool, collected. And then if you're like badass, you're like coming in there like you might be able to get away with some humor that you wouldn't be able to get away with with other brands or you can do some crazy stuff like smash things or, you know, whatever that like other brands might just not really be cool with. Um, so I think once you kind of kind of like put them into those three buckets, you can really understand a lot about kind of what content's going to fly and then really just digging into their brand guidelines. And I mean, sometimes the brands that don't really have much guidelines, you got to got to create some for them. Like, Hey guys, across the board, we're going to use this font. Seems like they use it a lot, but not always, but we're going to use it, you know, or, uh, you know, they don't really have many brand colors. So, uh, it seems like they, they use this on their packaging. So let's go with this color as our main accent color or whatever. And sometimes they, you know, ultimately they appreciate that because then you're almost kind of helping them come up with a little bit of more of a brand identity. Cause that's just something that you gotta kind of got to care about with, when it comes to content. But a lot of brands are um, very content forward and they, uh, you know, content is extremely important to them. And then some are like almost kind of just treating content as a, they know it's a necessity, but they don't really like care about it as much. So, um, but we'll, we'll still make them high quality stuff either way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit on stage in January, you talked a little bit, or you talked a lot about the quote unquote biggest platform opportunity right now it's the number one most visited site in the world tell us tell us what it is and and what your thoughts are on it yeah so i mean that platform is tiktok and uh for better or for worse it's you know the most downloaded app um of the year so far and it's actually the the first time that a non-meta owned company is like in the top five i believe because you've got facebook messenger whatsapp and instagram all kind of dominating the top of the app store charts for quite a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes like Telegram snuck in there a little bit. Um, Snapchat snuck in there a little bit from time to time. Um, but, but yeah, Zuckerberg TikTok is not happy. has, <laughs> yeah, Zuckerberg is not happy. And 
Um, to be fair, I, I feel like Instagram's fought back with Reels pretty heavily. Um, Reels right now, I'd say, is still crushing pretty hard, and um, we we use Reels pretty extensively. But um, just to go back to TikTok, I think TikTok is um, it's really just done what a lot of social networks just had failed to do for such a long time, um, which is deliver content that people want to see in a way that is so effortless that all they got to do is just scroll and like. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, a lot of other platforms are, you got to like really go into it intentionally to create an experience that's going to be fun for you. So, um, Twitter is a great example of that. Like you can make a Twitter, but until you start following the right people and engaging with the stuff that you like, um, it's going to be a weird experience for you. You're probably going to get a lot of pop culture stuff. You're probably like my Twitter is like marketing stuff and crypto stuff. Like that's my Twitter feed for the most part and content stuff. But, um, like I'm sure for someone else, it might be, uh, you know, fan videos of Harry Styles and BTS, you know, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but, uh, like you got to kind of curate that experience for yourself. But with TikTok, it's almost like a self curating experience because all of the factors that play into you consuming, it doesn't take as much of you liking and following as much as TikTok is understanding, like they scrolled past this video immediately. Let's not show them stuff like this versus they stayed on this video and watched it five times. Let's show them more stuff like this. It doesn't really matter if you followed that creator or liked the content. Uh, it's more just they are learning your, you know, your your uh, preferences. And um, I think that, I mean, it's crazy powerful. It's downright scary a little bit. You know, there's some weird stuff there. And I mean, obviously, um, there's definitely a lot of fear around the, the Chinese government and things like that. And I mean, I don't need to go too deep into that. But um, I, I just, I don't see a world where TikTok is going to really like fizzle out. I don't think it's a phase anymore. I do think it's here to stay for quite a long time. And um, I, I th the difference though that I do see is that I don't see a lot of brands really thriving on TikTok. I still see brands thriving on Instagram. Um, and what's interesting is at least for me and my experience on TikTok, I feel like a lot of the content that I'm seeing on TikTok um, feels very homegrown and feels very like one person, one camera, one opinion kind of stuff. Whereas inherently brands are not that they are multiple people, a conglomerate of people that have, uh, you know, many different objectives or goals or, um, things that they're putting out. So it's hard to, um, get people to care on TikTok about you as a brand, I think, unless there either is a like one kind of main spokesperson that's like running the brand. And so then now is it, is it for media or is it Andrew, you know, is it, um, you know, and, and, but at least on Instagram, it does feel like brands can still like live and thrive on there. So it's kind of interesting to see like on our four media TikTok. Um, actually we had one that blew up recently, got like 350,000 views, which is cool. It was a podcast clip. Um, which podcast clips do decently well on, on TikTok. But as far as like branded kind of stuff or showing like some of the creative work that we've done, I think TikTok is still a little bit of a premature platform where the really high quality stuff hasn't made it there yet. And if you think about it, that's how Instagram started too. started off with people posting pictures of their dogs and sandwiches and random stuff. And 
now it feels like if you didn't uh, perfectly curate your post and take it on a mirrorless camera and you know all that stuff, you're uh, you're just not going to stand out among the rest. It's changed um, I think, so much for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think TikTok will probably you know get there eventually in certain circles, especially um, like I remember made this really cool like concert recap video. Um, and I posted on TikTok. I was thinking like, oh my gosh, this is so much more high quality than anything out there. It's going to pop so hard. People are going to think this is sick and no one cared. You know, like it was almost like too professional, I think for TikTok at the time. Um, and that was like, you know, a year and a half ago or something. So who knows, maybe things have changed, but, um, I think it, it's definitely here to stay. And it's a really powerful platform that a lot of people need to be paying attention to. And as far as with e-com, I think it is hard to crack the code on TikTok. Um, our TikTok team uh, is, is doing a great job of uh, really navigating that platform and figuring out what sticks and what is working. But um, it, I, I think that the the mindset of a person on TikTok is not really a shopper. You know, they're there for entertainment. They're there to, you know, kill some time or learn something or wind down at the end of the day. Um, whereas TikTok or whereas like Instagram or Pinterest or even Facebook, like I feel like they've kind of taught people, uh, that, that, that those platforms are a little more for commerce, uh, a little more for, uh, you, you know, whipping out your credit card and maybe buying something in the platform. Um, and I think it's only a matter of time before TikTok realizes that they, you know, that that's the way that they need to kind of go. But it does kind of suck when marketers just kind of ruin every social network and just make it all about shopping. But you know, <laughs> that's just how it goes. It's so funny because yesterday, I think I was actually just talking to Alex about that, about how we use different social media platforms. And I'm like, yeah, I'll just go look at reels if I want to be mindless and not think and be entertained. But when I go to Twitter, I'm like, time to get an education. Like, <laughs> or, you yeah. know, yeah. Facebook, you know, you're putting some work in with those other platforms. And I think that's why they end up being like higher converting platforms. Totally. And I think, um, especially for TikTok, this is something that I really hope that they do. And it is something that, uh, it seems like they, that they're probably considering, but on, t on Instagram, uh, I don't know how much you guys use the feature where you can like save posts to different like folders. Yeah. Um, so like sure. I'll do that all the time where like I see a really cool ad and I'll save it to my like ads inspo folder or I'll see some cool product photography. I'll save it there. Um, but on TikTok, you can also now save to different uh, folders, which uh, I was very glad about because really the only way to like save things was just in a general giant saved folder or liking it and saving it to your likes, which ultimately, you know, likes. You're never going to find it again. Kind of become <laughs> meaningless. Yeah. And I at a, and and yeah. And so there was really only like two ways to save things, liking them or, or saving them. And now that you can save things in different folders, my thing that I would love is if I could, in my For You page, choose a, or, or like, for example, let's say I have a folder that's just called, like, I have a folder that's just like animal videos. So if I could go to that folder and then tell TikTok to make me a For You page based on that folder only. So then I can choose to, like, show me animal videos that are similar to the animal videos that I've liked. Or show me, like I have a folder called Unexpected Funny, where it's literally just like, you 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 know when you find a video and you're like watching it and you're like, why does this have five? Yeah, yeah. And then like and then the end it gives away. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> that's amazing. So like that folder is just full of videos like that. If I could just tell TikTok like, hey, show me more videos like that, that would be cool. And so I think- um, Almost like a hashtag. What would happen is- 
yeah, or like hashtags or whatever. Um, and, uh, like for example, my, my ex, she, her, whenever she opened her TikTok, it was always like crafting videos and like sappy, like girl posts. And she was like, can we look at your TikTok? Yours is funny. <laughs> and like, it, it felt like two different apps. Like I would open up mine and it was a different curation and we would open up hers and we'd be bored and sad. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, I know no, what offense, you mean. Sir, but, no, it was just, it was just funny. Like mine, mine was for mindless scrolling entertainment, funny stuff. But it's funny now that I've been on the platform longer, I do find that I am engaging with other stuff. And so now I'm like, damn, I'm getting all this cool stuff. But right now is not the time for me to learn this new Photoshop editing hack. I want to be entertained by something silly. So I wish that I could be like sorting my for you page by the, you know, other categories. But who knows? I know Vine used to have that. Like Vine used to have like the funny section and you could like choose up to 10 categories for yours to be featured in. So you could like jump into comedy or, um, you know, drama or whatever the heck music, you know, stuff like that. I think it's a great idea. And if TikTok doesn't do it, <laughs> hopefully a third party will. Um, because I think this goes back to what Dave was just saying about Twitter. Sometimes people get turned off by a platform if it's too much of the same type of content all the time. Like, I love Twitter. Twitter's my favorite platform. But in the past like six to 12 months, they've definitely changed their algorithm to be more about stuff that you like rather than who you follow. And I was just telling Dave yesterday, you know, I follow a lot of business people, a lot of like uh, marketers and, you know, D2C people. There's like crypto stuff a lot too, like you said. And sometimes like at night, I'm just scrolling through my Twitter timeline and I get sick of like thinking about business all damn day, right? I wanted to see more about sports or like what's happening in the news, maybe whatever it is. And, um, you know, you, you get just too much into that funnel. So if you can like kind of have a dial on TikTok, for example, to like, hey, I want more of this or, you know, go back this way a little bit because <laughs> you get sucked into yeah, it, it's exactly. just endless, right? Like I want to get off of like depressing TikTok, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, don't show me sad stories right now. Like, yeah. There's a time and place. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, and I think one other thing before we hop off the TikTok uh, category, for brand owners listening, you, you, you know, even doing a bad job of creating content on TikTok, you're still going to get traction. And this is the, the case as well for Instagram Reels because they're copying it really. Like, you can literally in 60 seconds take a five second video of you and your product in selfie mode and put like a funny sound over it and a funny caption and you're going to get 2000 views on your reel or your TikTok within like three days. There's no other platform in which you can do that. And people, I think it's really just a quantity thing. Like just keep making them until something goes viral and it's going to lead to organic sales for sure. Uh, so don't overthink it. Like you don't have to make really good stuff on these types of, on these you know, mediums, you know, reels and TikTok, because it's just so easy to get views. Uh, and there's no other platform like it. So it is, it is actually wild how easy it is to get crazy views. And, and I don't say that in a way where I'm like, uh, bragging because there right. are a lot of people trying to make content on these platforms that are struggling to get views. Um, and I don't mean it in a way like that. I think a it's consistency over time. Um, you know, with with any project, you're going to need to create stuff for a while. And of course, there's going to be people that get uh, they're, they, they get lucky and they get tons of views right off the bat, right immediately as soon as they start creating content. They get views that just go, videos that go viral. Um, and I think um, with TikTok and Instagram in particular, um, 
one of the things that they definitely do, it's it's like without a doubt, like they don't say this, but it definitely happens where they actually favor new accounts um, to 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 have a better chance of like going viral because they want to get you hooked. Um, if if you post a video on TikTok as a brand new user with only one video, there's a pretty high chance that that video is going to do pretty well um, it, as long as it's decent. Just just simply based on the fact that it's a new account and they want to get you uh, in the door and get you some success, get you some wins right off the bat so that you don't get discouraged and you keep posting. Um, and Instagram reels are the same way. And I think um, it, it's interesting because we were going through a phase, I think like especially right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was very easy to get a lot of views on TikTok just because a lot of people weren't, still a lot of people weren't creating. It wasn't as saturated. And um, and Reels was like almost non-existent where no one was even really like looking at Reels when it first came out. Now I almost feel like it's flipped a little bit where TikTok has a surplus of people creating content. So you do have to put in a little more high effort and stand out and be a little bit more unique. Whereas Reels, I feel like uh, still doesn't have the same, uh, you know, fire hose of content just coming to that platform. And so anything that feels original to reels, they, they'll pump it pretty hard. So honestly, as a company of four media, we, we do better on our reels than we do on TikTok currently. Um, and I think that goes back to like it feeling a little bit more like a brand and things, things of that nature that Instagram's just already kind of more, uh, accepted, but, um, yeah, it is interesting. And, uh, I'd say, uh, agreed th that you just need to start creating. That's really the biggest thing is just start, you know, it's like that Kim Kardashian, everyone these days <laughs> doesn't want to get off their ass and work. <laughs> you need to work. Yeah. <laughs> Question start from yesterday a, from a content creation advertising perspective. Um, are you, when you guys create ads for TikTok, are you also using that on reels? The same exact ad? Um, so uh, we, when we're doing TikTok creative, actually, we're pretty much creating content exclusively for TikTok. And it's interesting because the way that we've kind of uh, built our TikTok team, it's kind of interesting because I feel like in the beginning, the, the ads team and the content team were like a little m more separate. And we, of course, come together to collaborate on what we're creating and what the strategy is and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like the TikTok side, it's it's like you can't really have one without the other, you know, like you really if you're coming to for media for TikTok, you're not just like, oh, yeah, we only want you for TikTok ads management. We don't need you to create the ads. We'll create the ads. It's like, no, you're coming to us for both. Whereas with uh, for media, like for Facebook ads and Instagram ads, they might be like, hey, we already have tons of content. We just need you guys to run the ads or, uh, hey, we already have ads management. We have it in house, but we just need content. Um, whereas with TikTok, it's very much like you're, there's no way that you're coming to us for one and not the other kind of thing. So we are creating very TikTok specific content. And then, um, yes, we are like testing that content, uh, across the other platforms, but, um, it is weird what works and what doesn't. Um, cause there's definitely like a fine line of like, oh yeah, this is TikTok content and this would never work on any other platform. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you just got to be testing. And I, but I would say, I would say, really starting with TikTok is is a good idea because uh, if it performs well on TikTok, there's a pretty good chance that it would also perform well on Reels because it seems like Reels is, you know, ninety percent of it is just recycled TikTok content. <laughs> 
even even now. Yeah. Or at least imitation. There's a lot of that, like you said earlier, right? <laughs> um, For sure. So, you know, you've, in your career, uh, I guess, worked on a lot of different podcasts, um, each one kind of different, a little bit different than the next. And I'm asking selfishly, like, what makes a good podcast? But like for brand owners listening, you know, how do they know what podcasts to listen to? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think that podcasting is is so powerful because it's one of the only mediums where people are going to consume uh, hours of your content. Uh, it's very, very hard to get someone to consume hours of Instagram content or even YouTube content for that matter. You've got to create something extraordinary for someone to pay attention for that long. Um, whereas audio content is, um, is amazing for that reason. Um, I've spent days listening to some of my favorite podcasters. I mean, literally days of my life, probably at this point. Um, definitely like I, I feel like I know them. I feel like I have a personal connection with them because I've heard all their best stories. I've heard how they interact with their friends. I've heard how they interact with guests that they maybe don't know as well. I've heard them uh, talk about life events, their kids, all the stuff I, you know, and if someone listened to my podcasts for, you know, a long time, I'm sure they feel the same way, which is cool and creepy and that's awesome. You know, it's all, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like that's really how it, it, it feels. And, um, that's, that's really cool. And that's very powerful. Um, just as a, as a, as a, just as a medium, you know, that's just a, an awesome thing. So, as far as what makes a good podcast, it's very uh, opinion based. You know, like I think some podcasts are very. Um, I I remember when I was starting my podcast, there was a trend of creating like very short, bite sized podcasts that were like designed to be listened to on your commute, and that was what's gonna work. No one has an hour and a half. No one's got three hours. They, ha they have 25 minutes. The average commute is 25 minutes. So you need to make your podcast 25 minutes, super value-packed, actionable. You don't want to be wasting your viewers' time, blah, blah, blah. And I was like thinking about how the way that I consume podcasts. And um, for me, I love long podcasts that are uh, you know conversational and feel like I'm just a fly on the wall hanging out. And um, the way that I listen to podcasts is the same way I read a book. I don't read a book in one sitting. I read it for a while until I get of it or until I got to do something else. And then when I'm ready to go into book mode again, I pick up where I left off. Like, I don't understand why that concept is hard for people to realize. Like, you don't need to make a podcast. So you got to listen to it all in one sitting. Like, you can pause it and come back. And that's actually why I don't like listening to podcasts on Spotify um, because Spotify uh, is music and podcasts in one app. And I like to separate the two um, into like, if I'm going, like, I have a, my Audible app and I have my podcasting app, and I have Spotify, and I have SoundCloud, and I'm going to each of those apps for different listening experiences. I'm probably going to SoundCloud to listen to like uh, random like EDM mixes that aren't allowed to be on Spotify, and then I'm going to go to Spotify because someone sent me a cool playlist, and then I'm going to Audible because I'm going to actually like intentionally listen to a book, and I'm maybe I'm sitting in the sauna, and because it's downloaded, I can just listen to it whenever, and then podcasts is maybe when I'm trying to just listen casually on my commute or whatever. So there's, you got to kind of put yourself in the mindset, I guess, of like who's listening to the podcast and why. And so if it's education based, obviously trying to make it as value packed as possible, um, is, is super important. If it's very like conversational based and just like, 
uh, more about the about people just, I guess, being fans of you and being fans of what you're about and who you're going to hang out with. I don't know if it like matters too much about like really uh, how tight and you know value packed each second is. I think they just want to hang out with you and listen to you, you know, and and that's cool too. Um, I, I think about like a lot of YouTubers that they make videos that are like 30 minutes long of just them talking to the camera. Maybe it's not for me, but for their fans, that's everything to them. You know, like they love that experience. They love hanging out. I mean, shoot, there's Twitch streamers that stream all day, uh, you know, multiple hours a day. And there's people that when they miss a stream, they like feel bad and they feel like they got to catch up and they go watch the VOD. Like they, they literally go back and watch the stream, even though it's not live anymore. Like that's how religiously attached to these creators they get. So I guess um, the, not only the that, they donate to, to them. There, like that's the craziest part. Yeah, literally, part they're to me. giving their money. I've I mean, never money understood the, that for me, like as a consumer. But I mean, there's obviously like a billion dollar industry out of just donating to your favorite creators, which is like you know incredible, right? It's wild, and I mean, I love Twitch for that reason. Like that money is at the core of really how it works, yeah. which is kind of cool. Definitely study, um, and, I mean, study Twitch streamers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, money is the highest form of commitment, right? Like if you're going to commit to something, putting your money where your mouth is, is the, is really the, the highest form of, of, of committing to something. And so supporting a creator with your actual money, um, is, is, is really cool. And it's awesome that that's kind of how Twitch has been since the beginning that, that it's almost kind of like designed for that. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that about YouTube and they don't understand that about other platforms that like, um, that there's other ways that um, you can support creators and things like that. Um, one of my favorite ways, I know this is a little, um, we're going on, on a tangent besides podcasts, but uh, one of my favorite things is I pay for YouTube premium. Um, and a lot of people think like, oh, that's unnecessary, YouTube's free. Um, but A, I get to skip all the ads, but B, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, if a video gets demonetized on YouTube, the creator's not going to make any money from that video from ads because the ads aren't getting put on the video. But what's cool is with YouTube premium, they take the $10 that I pay every month. They take half. YouTube takes 50% or whatever. But the other five bucks actually gets split up among the creators that I watch their content. So even if a video gets demonetized, you can still actually make YouTube premium revenue um, with your video being demonetized, which a lot, which I mean, I, I don't real I don't know why more creators don't talk about that because it's like, hey, if I'm like a taboo creator that's always getting demonetized or like not advertiser friendly, encouraging people to sign up for YouTube premium is like, not only are you getting all the benefits of being on YouTube premium, but you're also like actually giving those creators back some of that ad revenue that you're paying to skip, you know, yeah. cause like you're literally paying to not watch the ads, but what's cool is the creators are still getting a portion. It's so, just like I mean, streaming their much, music but... on Apple music or Spotify, same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, Spotify, it's kind of genius that they've gone so, so hard into podcasts cause they don't have to pay anything in royalties to the podcasters. It's kind of hilarious how opposite it is. Like with music, they pay the, the music creators, to be allowed to put it on there. And for podcasters, we're like, oh, I want to be on Spotify. Uh, like, please, will you let us on your platform? We're like, sure, we'll let you on the platform, but it, we'll still play ads over it, you know? And it's like kind of a weird, different relationship because they can make a lot more money on podcasts than they can on music. But anyways, um, 
But to go back to the to the question of like what makes a good podcast, I think honestly, consistency is probably one of the biggest things with podcasts because, um, I mean, it it depends on the goals of the podcast. But like for me, when I find a new podcast, I I part of what I look for is how often they're posting and like when the most recent episode was, because. Um, I mean, there are a lot of podcasts that can be kind of like evergreen that just feel like you could listen to them at any point in time. But there are little subtle things that make it make things feel old. Like if you listen to a podcast from 2020, you're going to immediately know like, oh, yeah, this is taking me back to like pandemic times and, you know, like little comments that are being made or like, you know, just little things that uh for whatever reason, we like to feel like we're watching stuff that's like pretty new. Like even if I watch like a YouTube tutorial or something, if it's like five years old, I'm like, hmm, is there a better way? Is there a new thing that's come out? Is there a new, more efficient thing that I should be paying attention to? So I'm like, even though the tutorial might be the exact same, I might go be more inclined to watch a video that's three months old than something that's five years old, you know? So like, I guess for podcasting, I think a big part of it is like consistency and um, seeing that the that the podcast creators are as committed to the podcast as I might be as a listener because I mean if you think about it the listeners committing their time to to listen and so if the creators of that podcast are not putting in the same amount of care and effort into like continuing it then why should I care to pay attention I guess um and I think another thing that's like key for a podcast is just first impressions like you're really not gonna get I mean you can't the, due to the nature of what a first impression is. You can't get a you can't get a second first impression. So having a good first impression on a viewer is is really or a listener or whatever is uh, really important. And um, I I've found that also like the video element of a podcast is pretty much best used for promo more than anything. If you're getting views on YouTube, I mean I can't imagine people are sitting there watching every second of people just talking. They're probably doing the dishes. They're probably doing their laundry. They're probably cooking and they have their phone sitting on the counter off to the side. And if there's something that's visual that needs their attention, they'll glance over and look or they've got it in a tab in the background and they're doing their work. And if, you know, something seems funny that they want to check out, they'll switch over to the tab and look at it. But uh, for the most part, it's really uh, an audio experience. So um, kind of keeping that in mind too. Like if, if you're if you're trying to create this like really in-depth show where there's tons of visuals and cool stuff, it's like, you might be better off making a YouTube show. You know, you might be better off making like an actual show that's like 10 or 15 minutes that's, you know, showing you reacting to content or whatever rather than like a podcast type format. But, you know, teach his own. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, and then also with, uh, that's one thing that I appreciate you about you guys using Riverside. And I think that this platform, I mean, people watching probably don't know what Riverside is or even that we're recording on it. But Riverside is a cool platform because that was always one of my biggest gripes with, um, with podcasts that were recorded not in person was that the audio quality had too, it was too different. Like the host would sound amazing and then the guest would sound like shit because the audio was being recorded over zoom. Whereas with this uh, platform called Riverside that we're using right now, hopefully my voice sounds good um, because it's actually being recorded locally into my mic and then being uploaded to the cloud. So uh, that the idea then would be that uh, the quality would be the exact same that, um, would be going into my microphone right now. So anyways, I think that was like a big gripe of me not wanting to do podcasts virtually was because as a listener, that was like one of my pet peeves was uh, having to hear the different the difference in the voices was just like annoying. And But I also will say that I was down to put up with that 
if I felt like the content was good enough. Yeah. Like if I was listening to Joe Rogan talk to Julian Assange, I'm super down to listen to any, uh, you know, audio discrepancies because that's a conversation that I want to listen to no matter what. Um, but if it's just two guys hanging out, kind of talking, you know, some BS and just being funny, I'd much rather them be in person because then uh, it, it just feels like more like I'm a fly on the wall versus like listening to a meeting. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree. Um, so, Andrew, as we begin to wrap up here, one technical question I wanted to ask you before we actually wrap up. Because I know, I think of you as someone that really under uh, has learned a lot of lessons of like different tools, different strategies. You have like a lot of hacks in creating content and you understand social media really well. Um, what do you think is something that a lot of, you know, brands or content creators looking to, you know, create something or, or advertise that they try to do? It's just not worth their time. It's not worth spending money on, spending energy and resources. Like do, do it a different way instead of this cliche way. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, I'd say one of the biggest things that I see is like, especially in content, going to one of these big production houses and spending six figures on a content package where they ultimately get like one main kind of like, uh, you know, hero video that kind of defines their brand. Um, and no, no shade to any of these companies. I mean, I'm thinking of like, Harmon Brothers, for example, like they made amazing ads for Purple Mattress and Poopery and like all these brands that like, and you know, like the Dollar Shave Club ads back in the day that just went crazy viral. Um, and I think of those type of ads and it's like, I think every brand just thinks like, oh man, if we just had that one killer ad, we could just rake in money forever from that one ad. And um, I think A... A lot of brands don't lend themselves to content like that. Like, I think when you're going to uh, an agency or a production house or whatever that's going to make you content, um, kind of like just feeling out that brand and making sure that like they are in line with the type of content that you want to make. Like, if they're like Chamber Media, for example, amazing, awesome uh, production company, and they make a lot of like humor based videos. But if your brand is not a humor based company, like maybe maybe going with them might not be the best option. Like maybe going to um, an, another another production company would be a better option just because that might not be their exact strong suit. Maybe like th this company is really amazing at making VSL video sales letters for landing pages, um, but maybe they're not great at making vertical content that's going to convert really well on TikTok, you know? So like um, just kind of like understanding that just throwing tons of money at content isn't always the best option, I guess. Like, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, like for media, we, we, I mean, we do a lot for a lot smaller of a budget than a lot of these companies are charging. And that's because we, A, we're a marketing company first. We're not just content creators that are going to make something cool. Um, and B, uh, we can really make your dollars go further, I guess. Um, like we're, we don't want to just create like one really awesome piece of content that's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And we're going to have, I mean, it'll look really awesome. It'll look great. It'll be professionally shot. The audio will be amazing, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, an ad that was filmed on an iPhone might convert better, you know, like, so and true. that kind of sucks. And we're in a world right now where, um, you know, a lot of products are, are very versatile. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, Maybe you want to be 
all things to everybody. But unfortunately, if you're a brand like that, like a lot of times you're just going to get defeated by the cheapest brand on Amazon. You know, like you're, if you really want to create like a brand for yourself, I think you got to niche down. You got to like make yourself almost turn away people that could be potential customers in favor of really hitting your target audience. Um, and not trying to be all things to all people. Uh, again, like I, I, I brought up club early bird. I love them because they're not trying to convert coffee drinkers. Like they're not going after the coffee drinkers. They're looking out, they're going after people that are, that coffee did not work for them, that they don't like coffee, that maybe energy drinks are too much for them in the morning. Like they need something, but it's not coffee and it's not energy drinks and it's something else, you know, and, it, and they're looking for that person or the person that wishes they were a morning person, but, but isn't. And that was like a problem that they found and they filled that problem with their solution. And um, so I guess the, 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 a lot of times the biggest mistake is like going in and having this huge content budget and like, oh, we just need some really killer stuff, but trying to maybe either go too broad with your target audience or just going with the wrong company and ultimately getting a bunch of content that like sadly just doesn't convert. And, um, you know, unfortunately we've seen that a lot and it hurts sometimes cause it's like, man, we just did a package for you guys for like, you know, 15 K and these ads are performing way better than the ads that you spent six figures on. And that like hurts, you know, it hurts me. Cause it's like, damn, maybe we should be charging more and yeah. it hurts them <laughs> because it's like, damn, we spent and wasted so much money on this awesome content that looks really cool, but ultimately just didn't serve the purpose of what we needed it to serve. So, um, I guess in a roundabout way, uh, the, the thing that they should be looking at is, um, you know, whether the company that they're going with seems like it fits well and if it's actually going after the goal that they, that they want to achieve. Um, and then the other thing is like, I would say, um, if you're not creating content, like it's going to be hard for you to know what you want until you kind of like try to even start creating something or try to do something on your own, or at least have like a list of, um, that's, that's one thing that's hard for me is when brands that are not very content focused, they come in and they, they have all these inspiration, um, examples. And when you make something that's like slightly different than the inspiration example, they are like, Oh, well, we told you to make it like this. Why did you make it a little different? And it's like, well, we we're trying to do something unique for your brand, not exactly just copy the competition. <laughs> um, but sometimes that's what people want. Yeah. Yeah. So many good points there. <laughs> um, cool. So as, as we begin to, to wrap up here, we like to close out the, the episode with our guests with the same question. Um, if you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning, let's say you're in a conference room <laughs> planning out your day and they help guide you, uh, you know, uh, advise you on, on your, the problems that you're facing, who would be in that room? They can be alive or dead. <laughs> that's a great question um i'd probably say um casey neistat love casey neistat um makes perfect sense <laughs> yep you <laughs> definitely makes be in that room. um probably daniel arsham i don't know if you guys know who he is he's an artist he's an amazing artist um daniel arsham would be in there um i think gary vaynerchuk's got to make it in there uh just because he I've really, I have a love hate relationship with Gary V, but he's given a lot more than, uh, given a lot more to me. And I, I respect a lot of the stuff he's done. Um, and so he'd be in there. 
Um, I'd say Joe Rogan would be in there. Uh, I love, I I've listened to so many uh, episodes of his podcast. I would, I would love to have him in there. Um, probably, uh, Alex Ramosi. love listening to Alex. I think he's got a lot of great things to say. Um, and, hmm, I'm not trying to make it too crowded in there, you know, but, um, the more the merrier. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm trying to think of someone who's dead that I'd want to hang out with. <laughs> Maybe Steve Jobs, you know, heck. Oh, Virgil Abloh. He's, oh, he's a, a beast. Good uh, Virgil Abloh, I'd love to have in my, uh, circle of mentors. God, who's Virgil? What a, um, what an amazing artist lost too soon for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, Virgil Abloh as well. But I think I think that would be a, a pretty solid group. I'm trying to think of like maybe even one more like entrepreneur like, you know, guy. I don't know. I feel like that's pretty solid. Steve Jobs is 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 pretty solid in there. That's a really good one. If oh, he... Elon Musk. How could I leave him out? <laughs> Duh. Yeah, like... Elon Musk would be would be the the chief uh, guy. Um, There's like three or four names yeah. that you said. I that keep just a lot thinking of, of random. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elon Musk would be would be the the president of my of my um of of my mentors right there. Yeah. He'd be leading it. I think um, I think Elon and Hermosi might be the most most mentioned so far. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I feel like Alex has really like come uh just out swinging with content in the past couple of years and um I I actually know the guy who runs like uh does his content and stuff and it's funny because he's the exact same guy that uh I went, so, so he had like a personal branding conference. His name's Ryan McGinn, actually. I mean, I don't know why I'm gatekeeping his name. <laughs> Ryan McGinn, what up? Um, Ryan, uh, he actually used to have a style YouTube channel where he would like talk about like men's style. And, uh, like after I lived in like Italy for a little bit, I came home and I was like, my wardrobe sucks. I need to focus on my style. Cause all these fr freaking Italian guys are way more cooler than me <laughs> and I need to buy some cool clothes. So I started like trying to get interested in that found him. And then he had a personal branding, uh, conference. It was like 20, you know, maybe like 50 people or something like that. And, uh, he taught, um, that was right when I started my podcast and he taught us like how to like do little daily vlogs and make content, um, with filming with like a little GoPro. And, uh, I owe a lot to Ryan and, um, he's, he's been killing it recently. He does, he, he manages a bunch of people's, uh, short form content for reels and TikToks and runs a lot of, uh, big accounts behind the scenes. So pretty cool to see, uh, see it all come together in a roundabout uh way and he was actually on my podcast back in the day awesome. so pretty cool that's cool i'll definitely have to look him up he does a great job with hermosi channel like i mean hermosi does a great job at just creating content right it seems like it's full-time job now but you know the the style of his reels and stuff is on point same with layla i'm assuming they both use him so um yeah definitely gonna check him out ryan should be in your uh your conference room <laughs> yeah i know no it's funny because um yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he should be my mentors. <laughs> it's cool because I feel like he's one of those people that I, uh, you know, really looked up to, and not that I don't look up to him now, but I really looked up to, and now I, I feel like I'm in that circle. Like I feel like I'm one of the peers. You know what I mean? Rather than like, oh, this guy on YouTube, he's so much cooler than me. He's making content. Like now <laughs> I, I feel like I've accomplished enough to be like, I'm, 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 I'm up there. You know? It's yeah, cool. that's it's a good fun. feeling. That's awesome. Yeah. And I cool, think man. the biggest lesson is just keep going, you know, like if you're, if you're going to commit to something like you got to commit for like more than a year, you know, at least, you know, you got to commit for at least a couple of years podcast. I, I, I just celebrated the fifth anniversary of me, uh, launching my first podcast yeah. 270 episodes later or something like that. It's like an average of an episode a week. 
Um, wow. so it's pretty, it. pretty awesome, uh, to, to see that progress. And, um, you know, if you're going to go for something, you gotta, you gotta, uh, be in it for the long haul and don't burn yourself out too early, but you still got to grind hard in the beginning. That's like the biggest thing for me, uh, with podcasting. I, I, bro, I had so many sleepless nights. I had so many nights where I'd stay up till five in the morning. I was still working a regular job and I was just so passionate about it. I, and there was days where I would run around. I, I, I was doing three podcasts in a day. Uh, I was just trying to get to a hundred episodes. I was just like my goal. And I was just like relentless pursuit. And I think every uh, successful person has that time in their life where they really put their head down and had like a crazy, at least like 90 days of just like insanity where like you did not sleep, you didn't eat, you were just so focused on your brand. But obviously that's not healthy to do all the time. Um, but I, I do think that that is a crucial thing um, to kind of like get ahead of, you know, just if you're if you're just going to say to yourself that you're going to work nine to five and uh, just like go home after your after five o'clock and play Mario Kart and uh, drink beer like that's cool. But uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But at the same time, like if you really want to get ahead and live a life like no one else, you, you got to make some sacrifices and, uh, you know uh, grind it out and, and get ahead. Wise words of Andrew Dice. See, that's the shit you can't teach, right? <laughs> can't teach it. It's funny. There's a, I'll wrap up with this. Um, Ty Lopez is one of my favorite mentors and he has a, or he had a YouTube video. He took it down, but I used to, I saved it in my motivation playlist on YouTube and always went back to it. And he's literally just sitting at dinner and talking into the camera. And he goes like, if you haven't spent like a week to 10 days of barely getting like less or more than like a couple hours of sleep a night, just averaging like an hour or two, he's like, he looks in the camera. He's like, you ain't a fucking entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so raw. And it's so true. He's like, at one time I went 17 days, I averaged like 30 minutes of sleep because I had to get stuff done. He's like, you don't want to do that too often. But like, you know, you got to go through that phase once, once in every while. So I always stay true to that. Like, you know, when I get tired, I'm like, all right, this is my moment or, you know, I'm not in my moment. So I'm going to go to bed, like whatever it is. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have to go through that. Definitely. Totally. Cool, man. I appreciate you so much. This is such a good episode. I had so much fun. I learned so much. I know the brands listening did. Uh, Dave, I know, I'm sure you could say the same. Um, This was awesome. And, you know, where, where, uh, you know, the brands and everyone listening, all the business people listening, where do you think is the best place for them to, you know, follow you and, you know, look at your stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there'll be like links in the description and all that, but, um, my, I feel like I'm most active on Instagram. So it's Andrew underscore Deitch on Instagram. You can find me there. DM me. Um, my, my DMS are pretty open. Um, and, uh, as far as working with us, um, you can go to formedia.marketing, Um, and that's our website. You can click on the little work with us tab. And a quick little plug for our agency secret letters too. If you're an agency or if you're just interested in what we're doing, uh, we've got a pretty cool um, program that we're doing right now where uh, we're releasing pretty much everything. We're we're peeling back all the secrets of what we do, how we run our operations, how we set up our tech stack, how we uh, problems that we've overcome, how we're hiring, how we're looking at structuring things. And uh, it's all on paper. So it's not digitally available anywhere. We mail it to you physically. Um, and, uh, it's, it's pretty solid. Dave's, 
Dave's got his agency secret letters right there. So, um, yeah, no scarcity mindset. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No scarcity mindset there. And that's something that internally it's been, it's been hard. Like, it's like, do we want to share that? But it's like, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, knowledge is one thing. Execution is a totally other thing. So, uh, you can have all the ideas and all the, um, you know, ideas are, are, of course, like very valuable, but you got to know how to execute and actually find the right people. So, um, I'm, I'm definitely more of an abundance mindset person. I, I don't operate out of a scarcity. And I think the more you can share, the more value you can provide to the world, um, you know, the better. And, uh, that, that's ultimately how we, we all progress. So, so yeah, check out agency secret letters. I, uh, I, I don't have the the landing page for that offhand off the top of my head, but I'm sure we can link we it. We can link it, yeah. You'll be able to find it. Yeah, really we'll definitely link it. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. Cool. Well, again, thanks, thank you. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, yeah, see you next time.